Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you so much for tuning in. You guys are fantastic. I'm telling you, we're trending. We're, we're coming up on 500,000 downloads. It's ridiculous. It just blows my mind. So thank you guys for supporting this. I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors, um, Siegfried & Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, um, Veracity Networks, and iHill Institute. Thank you so much for believing me in this cause. Um, I really do believe that uh, some of these stories, if not all of them, are saving lives. We just talked about this a minute ago. Uh, I also would like to thank our previous guests. Thank you for being on and being vulnerable. Today's going to be no different. We have a firehouse today, uh, Mallory Roosh. Mallory, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for letting me be here. I'm honored and excited. Absolutely. She drove all the way up from St. George. We're, we're live here at Wasatch Recovery. And uh, she uh, is so passionate about what she does that she was willing to drive up here. And that says a lot about you already. And I'm just, I'm actually honored to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah. So let me give you a little background on Mallory. Um, she is an author, speaker, survivor whose passion is on fire. And you guys are going to get a lot of this today. Um, Rock Bottom has become the foundation on which she is building her career. I love that. You know, Rock Bottom is a good foundation, you know, and, and someone in recovery can understand that right? But not even in recovery. Life in general sometimes takes us down to that, that foundation again. We have to rebuild. I love how you said that. Um, her greatest strength is loving others until they're strong enough to love themselves. She travels to high schools to speak about addiction and recovery, and she uses her story to bring hope and inspire everyone she meets. She's the mother of two beautiful little girls and is married to her best friend. She is soon to publish uh, a new book, which I'm excited to learn more about, The Way in 90 Days, an intense memoir about a promise that changed her life forever, a healing program for anyone whose life has been impacted by addiction. So we're going to talk more about that. And then Mallory's greatest goal is to change the world's way of recovery because healing is the ultimate goal. Beautifully said. That's directly from Mallory. So here we are. Thanks for joining us. Um, how was the drive up? <laughs> it's not bad. I I love driving because I get to sit there in my thoughts and you yeah. know think about how my life is today and how beautiful it is and all the opportunities that keep coming forth without me having to knock on the doors. You know, meeting yeah. you through yeah. just social media. I mean, it's crazy. You know, so yeah. it was a good drive. It was fun time to spend with some friends too. Yeah. It's amazing when you're kind of on this side of where you're at in your life, you're doing so well that, you know, the, the grass seems greener, the sky seems bluer, doesn't it? Absolutely. You start yeah. seeing beauty for more of what it is than what you think it is. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you to share your story with us today. I'd like to start off just asking you, where did you grow up and tell us a little bit about your childhood? So I actually grew up here. I was born in Sandy, um, grew up in Murray, and then my family got really sick of the snow. So they all kind <laughs> of started to trout. They went down to St. George and enjoyed the heat more. So I've been there uh, since I was about eight years old. Okay. Did you like the snow? <laughs> I love the snow for short periods of time. <laughs> right. Uh, driving in it, you know, I, I can already barely see over the dash. So <laughs> 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 we don't need to add snow into this into the situation, but... Right. 
Well, tell us what was your childhood like? What, who, how were you? Were you were you this spitfire back then too, and this woman full of passion and confidence? Um. So my childhood, I grew up with a single mom, um, who I didn't find out till a little later on struggled with alcoholism, mm. and my father has never been involved. Um, okay. I. I'm the youngest of five girls. Three of them are on my dad's side and I've actually never met them. Um, okay. And then my closest sister is 10 years older than me but has a different father who's very involved. And so growing up, my sister and I, as much as I wanted us to be close, she always had an escape route when things with my mom got bad. Okay. And so she would get to go live with her dad and I think a resentment had started to build in me as far as you know, why would you leave me here in this situation to defend for myself? Yeah. Like you're my sister, where are you going? Um, so growing up, it did kind of put a wedge between us. My father has never been involved. I think that was the very first cause of um, what threw me into my addiction was, you know, those feelings of why am I not good enough? Abandonment, yeah. inadequacy. Yeah, that seems pretty common for younger kids when the father or the mom's not present, that they have these feelings and beliefs that I'm not good enough. Why wasn't I enough to, to keep you guys together? Exactly. Or why did that person leave? And those feelings of uh, being abandoned, right? Absolutely. Pretty common. So how old were you when you started noticing some of these feelings and, and, and struggles? <clears throat> I think when I started in elementary I thought my situation was pretty normal. My mom, you know, is my best friend. She's always been my hero. Right. And I didn't notice how different my life was than other kids until I started going to elementary school. And, you know, I'd get to see both parents picking up their child or I'd have a program that neither one of my parents were at. Yeah. Um, little things like that that I just started no noticing through my peers. And that's when I really started questioning what's different and why am I so different? Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I think that's pretty common for a kid at that age going through, you know, when parents aren't together and you do start comparing even as a young kid, like why I wish I had both my parents picking me up or where's my dad been and that kind of thing. And absolutely. Yeah. Did you ever voice that as a young child, like that you were struggling with anyone or did you just kind of keep it in or? So I, having a mom in alcoholism i had a very strong facade i you know raised myself a lot of the time and i kind of became the parent in some situations to where i just had to be strong and i was in the middle of loving my mom better thinking that you know i was responsible for helping her heal and helping her get better um yeah and really def just defining a worth of myself through my grades and my academics so I voiced it a couple times you know I'd make a comment in passing of to my family like why isn't my dad here but yeah. they all just kept telling me based on my age what was appropriate to tell me that it was better that he wasn't involved wow been probably tough to hear that though still yeah absolutely You've, right I mean to hear that as a young kid like it, it's better off that he wasn't around it's like oh like how, how bad was it? Right. You know, right. how bad could that situation be? Yeah. Well, so talk a little bit about, you know, how that, how it progressed with you. You, you mentioned there were some resentments and you said that maybe one of the reasons that fueled your addiction and 
just get into that and this, you know, tell us your story and tell okay. us how this all kind of played out and, and get to the point where you're doing all these amazing things now. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> my story starts when, you know, I started identifying these feelings of inadequacy and abandonment and being alone. Um, I defined my worth by my grades. I got straight A's. I was great in high school. I was in the yearbook committee, student council, mm. honor society. Um, I was scheduled to gradu- graduate early. And everyone saw on the outside that I, I looked like I was doing great. I had a great life. Um, but any time in school that there was an activity to sign up for, I was signing up for it. Not because necessarily I wanted to be involved in that activity, but anything that kept me from going home and having right. to face my reality, you yeah. know, I, I was going to get involved in. And so um, <clears throat> I became a cheerleader for high school, which practices were all week. And that really kept me busy and focused. And then finally I got to a point where uh, the college ended up offering me classes to graduate two years early. Okay. So half the day I spent at the college and then half the day I'd spend at high school. And the progression really started when, you know, college students are a lot older than high school students. And being in college, I am an extrovert. I love people. I love making friends. And I believe that you meet everyone for a reason. And so anytime, like now, my mindset now is anytime I meet anybody, it's like, what can I learn from you or what can you take from me? Like there's a reason our paths have crossed. Yeah. Um, Can I stop you right there? You have a really good ability in what you just said there like you made me feel like I was the most important person in the world when I just met you and that's that's a gift so I want to just point that out like what you're saying is completely genuine so because I felt that from you yeah well I felt I didn't even meet you and I you know just by everything that you do I if I can make a portion of the impact you have like I will. I mean, don't get mad when I try to <laughs> do better than you, I, but I'll well, allow you to I, be I part of it if you want. No, I want you to, and I'm going to help you, and we'll get you there, and I'll be the first one saying, awesome. Cool. You know, but I, I really did feel that way, and I think you're really good. I do want to also say, you talked about how you were trying to kind of even hide your pain through getting good grades, you know, being the best at everything that you're putting your mind into. That's all external stuff, but when you would go home or when you were alone were you sad did you feel depressed were you did you cry alone that kind of thing when you weren't around people um yeah I mean absolutely I would go home and I I mean more than anything I just wanted to spend time with my mom yeah so whether that be sitting by her in the bathroom on the toilet or Mm. you know as she was sick or laying in bed and rubbing her back you know there was just so many times where I think I hid that sadness and I just waited until it was before bed and I would just fall asleep crying but I never felt the ability to necessarily show that to anyone just because I was defining my worth by I was allowing people to see, yeah, you know, the good grades and just all the stuff that you were doing to be the best at. And Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and even being outgoing at that time, like, hey, look at me, you know, I'm confident this and that. And I think that happens a lot where a lot of times when we feel inferior, we try to act superior. Absolutely. Right. And I think anyone listening to this can uh, 
understand that. I think we all do that on some level. We put on a mask. No, I'm good. Everything's great. And when we get home, we're alone in our own thoughts. We're like, I'm hurting. Which is an amazing topic that I hope we will get to. Um, that's the problem yeah. today. Yeah, and we'll talk. Yeah, we'll get there. Well, so get there. continue with your story. I just wanted to point out those things because, again, uh, I felt so important when I met you. And, I, again, that's a gift. And that's why you're going to be so good at what you're doing. Thank you. Honestly. That. Yeah, you bet. So, yeah, so... Okay, so college. Um, I obviously had high school friends and college friends. The college friends were a lot older than me. And I started, you know, getting that feeling of belonging, that Mm -hmm. feeling of, you know, someone accepting me and being a part of. And I started getting invited to parties, to, you know, college events. Right. And I mean, for me, yeah, I'm I'm only 4'11", but <laughs> with the people I was hanging out with, you know, they never really ID'd me because I just would blend in yeah. with the environment that I was in. Um, but I was in such, I had such a longing for just a place to belong and, and feeling loved and feeling wanted that I wanted to participate in those events. And those events also, you know, kept me from going home, kept my mind busy. Right. So events... Um, college parties started turning into, you know, meetings where beer was there. And I ended up walking into my very first party one night. And right as I walk in, someone hands me a red solo cup. And in that moment, my mind was like, you know, it's okay to not be perfect, Mel. It's okay to not be strong all the time. Humans make mistakes. And Life is a series of phases and we all Mm -hmm. deserve those phases. Those are what we use as stepping stones in learning and developing who we want to become. Yeah. So in my mind, I was sitting there basically justifying the fact that I deserve to have a beer. Every kid my age is drinking right now and it's normal. Yeah. That's interesting. You had that thought when someone hands you the cup. Absolutely. It's amazing how we will justified doing something ultimately we know it's probably not a good idea right <laughs> right yeah you know we can all kind of relate with that and i can relate with that where if i look back on any time i made a mistake or and i did it like consciously i somehow justified it yeah <laughs> right yeah so How it's interesting can... you had those thoughts when someone handed you that cup yeah little did i know that that red solo cup was going to be the beginning of a very long journey for me wow well, tell us about that journey because I, I know your story is incredible. Um, there's, you know, hell and back probably 10 times. Absolutely. And here you are, though. So, yeah, talk about, so you had this, you know, you start drinking that night or whatever, and it opens up the door to everything else. So talk about that. Yeah, so the beer obviously gave me this feeling of, you know, relaxation, you know, what alcohol does. And one party became multiple and multiple started to become every weekend. Well, finally, I ended up meeting a boy in this college group of friends and he was just like me, extroverted, the light of the mm-hmm. room, someone that everyone adored and hung out with. And I ended up befriending him and was like, okay, I'm going to try this relationship, right? <laughs> he was six years older than me at the time. And once I ended up connecting with him, it became a relationship and the partying only got worse. He was a very heavy drinker 
and weed then you know it progresses to weed i feel like everyone has the same story but with different names and places right yeah take out all the specifics and it's all the same yeah it is pretty similar so i ended up smoking marijuana for my first time um and that was about 16 still one night i was at a party with my boyfriend and i was extremely cross-faded i told him i had a headache i wasn't feeling good he ended up pulling um, a pill out of his pocket wasn't sure what it was asked him right. and he's like it'll just make you feel better just take it well that was the beginning of my oxycodone addiction mm. and in that moment i realized that the pill was numbing all of those feelings of inadequacy and abandonment and anger and resentment in me and i didn't have to drink a 30 pack you know it was like wow something so little can do the amount of numbing that a 30 pack could so wow. easily it was a transition that was super easy super easy yeah again very common we hear this all the time hey just try this if you're hurting just try this i've heard that story a thousand times and it's it's sad on a lot of levels because of how that opens the door like oh this is what was missing i'll, yep. I'll do this yep right yep from the oxycodone um, addiction you obviously are aware but for those of that are listening that are not aware um oxycodone is a downer it is something that creates a physical dependency in which you are a slave to and in the process of getting addicted to oxycodone i was no longer in control i had lost control the second that i took that first pill Mm -hmm. and i just didn't know it yet so my addiction only got worse the boyfriend that i had at the time he ended up getting prescriptions through Vegas. It was the time of the opio, uh, the opiate pandemic. Yeah. And doctors were just prescribing oxycodone right. like crazy. So my boyfriend at the time, I was standing in his home and he went into his brother's room and he started telling him like, we are out, we need to get more. Like, how can we do that? Um, he goes, well, come here, I'll sh- like, we'll, we'll get you set up. So he ends up laying himself on the couch, his chest on the couch and his legs on the floor. And his brother just kicks him in the back and just hurts him extremely bad. Wow. The the ability and what what the pill was making him do was complete powerlessness. Like it didn't matter if his back was broken. The pill was more important. Mm. Well, in doing that, he was able to get papers to get over five prescriptions a month outside through Vegas. Really? So we wow. we started taking obviously a lot more than we should have been and thought it was a never ending time and all of a sudden all the doctors got cut off. So everyone was unable to fill their prescriptions and we started panicking. We were physically gonna withdrawal. Right. And I have had so many friends that have lost their life from the fear of withdrawal because it's a pain that is so unexplainable. I mean, your legs shake, you sweat, you are constantly throwing up, you can't eat, you're hungry. I remember during one of my withdrawals, I was sitting in the shower, fully clothed, just in a ball, bawling my eyes out, just praying for the pain to go away. And and withdrawal usually lasts about three to four days. Yeah, it's like the it's like the flu times a thousand. Yeah, 
you know, COVID times a thousand. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it is. And I think I think people don't understand that who have never maybe been down that road. But what keeps people stuck in that is that very reason. I don't want to be sick because I know what that's going to feel like. Right. So I'm going to keep doing this, knowing I shouldn't be doing this because this is killing me. Yep. <laughs> and again, it's that it keeps you in that addiction loop, you know, and and here you are in that, you know, curled up in a ball just going, please take this away from me. Yeah, my mentor um, told me that the power of the pain will always be in control. And that mm. goes with not only the pain of a physical withdrawal as far as a drug, because that mm -hmm. is what is controlling the addict yeah. from stopping using, right. but also the pain that we haven't faced and the pain that of things that we've been through in our childhood that we haven't faced and dealt with, those will forever be in control because that is the pain. That's what's yeah. driving us is the fear and the pain. Wow, that is uh, so true, right? Um, so here you are going through this. You know how how did you find yourself out of this, or what happens next? You know for you. So we're going through withdrawal and my boyfriend's brother ends up saying, you know, I can fix this. I can get you something. Everyone we had contacted was out. And so he leaves for about a half hour, comes back and hands us just something to make us feel better. Once again, that situation of here, take it. Yeah. So I knew that obviously it wasn't the pills that he had in his hand and I ended up using it and that started my heroin addiction. Yeah. From that point on, things only got worse. I mean, I was traveling to, ba to Vegas back and forth, um, getting involved in drug deals, putting myself in situations that were completely unsafe. And by this point, I was, my grades were dropping miserably. Yeah. And so through this heroin addiction getting worse, um, obviously I in was then introduced to meth, you know, the downer, it can be counteracted with something right. to give you energy. People start noticing when, especially someone like me that has a personality that's so loving yeah. and so outgoing and yeah. so loud. Like when I start sitting in a corner and curling up and not saying a word, like there's a problem. Yeah, people notice it quickly with Absolutely. you, right? Like yep. what is wrong with her? She hasn't said a word. Yeah, That is not her, yep. right? So then I think my life really started to turn around, I thought. Uh, on Mother's Day of 2013. Mm. I don't know still to this day, Todd, what got into me. I don't know what created this for me, but I made the decision that this is not the life I wanted. I'm like, I'm a successful individual that loves life and loves people. And yeah. of all the things I could have chose for a career, I chose to be an addict. Yeah. So I ended up making that decision that night. I go, I'm done. Despite my boyfriend and my friends in our room at that time using meth and heroin. Yeah. I was like, I'm done. So I ended up going through three days of withdrawal and I woke up on Mother's Day. So this was three days. So I woke up on Mother's Day morning about 6 a.m. with the feeling of freedom. Mm. I was clean and my environment hadn't changed, but my mind had. Right. So I call my I mom like that, that morning. I'm like, mom, I'm clean. I want to see you. I want to come home. My mom was uh, sober at this time. Uh, we ha didn't get the chance to actually be clean or sober together. So I was like, okay, I'm clean. I want to come home. We ended up going to breakfast that morning and laughing and crying and just having the best relationship again. Yeah. And she goes, okay, you can come home on, you know, the stipulation that you stay clean and you move all your stuff out of your boyfriend's house. 
So she ended up having a pedicure with her siblings that day and, and her mom for Mother's Day. So she's like, I'm going to go to my pedicure. You and your sister go get your stuff from the house. So we ended up driving there. The second I pulled in my driveway, St. George SWAT hits my house, pulls me out of my car, throws me to the ground, and completely does a full search of everything. Really? Yeah. And in that moment, I remember being cuffed and sitting next to the tree while they were just, just, you know, raiding the house. And I, at first it was like, wait, I'm clean. I made the decision to change. Like this can't be happening right now. Like (laughs) I just went through withdrawal to be free and I'm cuffed. (laughs) But then I started realizing, you know, looking back, it's like just because you decide to get clean doesn't mean there isn't wreckage that needs to be repaired. It doesn't mean that the price of the choices you've made in your past have been paid. And you know, I just kept justifying like, I'm clean. This That should be enough yeah. for you guys to know that I'm sorry for everything I have caused. Yeah. And it wasn't. So yeah. that, I was taken to jail. Um, I did about a week in jail. And my mom bailed me out under the same stipulation. You're going to get your stuff. We'll start off where we were at and right. bring you home. We end up driving to my boyfriend's house. I walk in. I kid you not, Todd, this is strange. Mm -hmm. I go in, my mom's talking to my boyfriend's dad outside, you know, talking about how sorry they are. And as I open the door, there is a bottle of heroin that we had kept our heroin and sitting just as your foot is in the middle of our floor, Right. just sitting there. And I'm sitting here. Okay. At first, you know, that addict mentality is like, okay, they're setting me up like this is, they're watching me. (laughs) Yeah. Where are they? This is definitely not (laughs) going to go well. So I ended up packing all my stuff and realizing as I go to grab the heroin that our bottle of meth is sitting under the bed. I, how does SWAT raid your house and leave all of the evidence they have against you? <laughs> like that right. is unheard of. Yeah. And and a lot, you'll hear me say, what are the odds? Because, you know, addiction is a game of odds and the odds mm-hmm. are always against you. So yeah. I, I use that quote a lot. Sure, sure. So I end up thinking, you know, well, as long as I don't use it, I'll be fine. Yeah. I can sell it, use the money to get back on my feet and go on living a normal life. And that right there is even a, a, a dangerous blunder. road. Oh, I'll sell it. Yeah. I'll keep it with me. I'll sell you know, <laughs> right there. You're like, okay, that's not a good idea when you look back on it. No, right? no, 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 <laughs> absolutely not. And it was that night that I ended up, you know, going up or going downstairs to my mom's basement when she had fallen asleep to see how much I had had, um, calling old contacts, you know, mm-hmm. through social media. Yeah. And I just thought you know, one time won't hurt. One time won't hurt. Wow. So that then began an even worse spiral from May of 2013 to August was my next arrest. But in that time, um, chaos and chaos. Always gets worse too. Absolutely. Every time. I want to point something out that you, and I think this is important. Have you noticed, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, like whenever you make a decision to do something good or the right thing, it's always challenged. Yep. I mean, you walk in and there's, there's the heroin and the and then the meths in there and you're like no i i said i'm done why is this stuff still here absolutely but isn't i just find that and every time i look in my past too and especially back then when i'm trying to get past that addiction in the environment every time i was like okay i'm done i'm not doing this i i'm not kidding you it was challenged that night or the next morning it's like what where did this come from absolutely it's like out of the blue right it's always like we're tested absolutely and and it 
I will say, you know, with where my life is at today, life never necessarily stops challenging you. It right. won't. I like that. And you're going to face things even being clean that are going to continue to challenge you and continue where you're at and how genuine and how much you want something. Yeah. Um, but why, why are you getting emotional? Just because... <laughs> Just because, you know, my life is so beautiful today and I'm just finally for one time, I'm just so proud of who I am and, and what I'm doing and where I'm going that, you know, the devil has no remorse of that. He's never like, you know, you just go ahead and keep doing the great things you're doing. Like he just wants to keep trying to slice you, you know, and, yeah. and you just got to be a fighter and you got to realize that, you know, it may not get, life may not always get easier, but you get stronger and yeah. therefore things become easier. Yeah, it feels easier. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's the same challenges, but yet you're stronger now Different and therefore person. they don't feel as intense anymore. It's exactly. like, like, you know, <clears throat> you may come across, you know, a thing of meth, you know, in someone's house, or whatever, it wouldn't affect you as much as it would have maybe back then. Absolutely. Right? Yep. You'd probably be a lot stronger around that this time for sure. Yep. Yeah. So in I love the emotion, by the way. Thanks oh. for being... <laughs> vulnerable oh you just wait it. we're just getting started <laughs> buckle up people yep here we go so after that after trying it again um that night in my mom's basement i ended up contacting a bunch of people and i found myself near august sitting in a hotel room with people that were intravenous users Mm -hmm. And I had never been an intravenous user. I was that kid in the doctor's office that they would bring in five nurses to hold down. I could <laughs> not stand the right. thought of a needle. Yeah. Um, I'm the same way. Ugh. I had been up. I had been up for about three days at this point. Uh, and I, your body starts to give out, you know, you yeah. have to have sleep. Yeah. And we had ran out of meth at this time. So I ended up falling asleep on the bed of a Motel 6 um, with a few of the people I was running around with. I ended up waking up in a really big panic, my heart racing. I was sweating only to look over and realize that a dealer was pulling a needle from my arm from introducing me to intravenous use with meth. Oh, wow. And at that point, although starting intravenously wasn't my choice, at that point, it was the only choice. Mm. And it's a depth that once you get to that point, it's never the same, just right. using simply. Wow. So I ended up becoming an intravenous user. And within three months, my life went to, it's going to start getting better. Um, I was arrested in August for 15 felonies and 13 misdemeanors at the age of 19. I was facing many, many, many years in prison. Wow. I ended up getting arrested. I went to jail, was in there for about three months. Um, one of the inmates talked to me, and she ended up motivating me to opt into drug court, which is mm -hmm. what I found out my boyfriend in college ended up opting into. Okay. So that at the time, it was my motivation. I'm like, perfect. Like, I'm going to get in drug court, get my relationship going back together. Like, still <laughs> loved him, right? That sick mindset of just... <laughs> I was addicted to him and codependent to him yeah. just as I, as I was the drugs. Right. So <clears throat> I ended up getting in drug court. I ended up getting uh, OSC'd. I ended up going into inpatient rehab. I was kicked out. I ended up going to outpatient rehab and I failed that as well. 
So fast forward to my sentencing date. I was standing in the courtroom and the judge basically looked at me and was like, Mal, you're only 19. I've given you every option to to live and you clearly don't want to. You have failed everything. I had read a document. They give you a documentation of, you know, things that therapists have said, evaluations and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which I, I really wish I wouldn't have gotten, but I did um, because it was just validated all of the feelings of myself being a failure, not being enough. Um, some of them even quoted that I was a lost cause and I had just given up like I thought everyone else had given up on me. So I stood there in the courtroom. I ended up shooting up meth in the courthouse parking lot. So I was completely distraught. I didn't care anymore. At that point, you've given up. Absolutely. I didn't care anymore. Death was the easier way out for me. And right then, as literally as the judge was about to slam his hammer down, the doors of the courtroom open. And in walks a man I had never met before. And he goes, Judge, I'd like to talk to you about this case, you and prosecution. He's like, what is, I don't understand what's happening. Like, why, you know, why are you interrupting my courtroom, basically? <laughs> yeah, right. So it felt like forever, but he went up and talked to prosecution and the judge and ended up walking out the door. And the judge looks at me and goes, Mallory, I don't know what Chuck thinks he can do for you, but I trust him. I'm sentencing you to a three-year, no to- or zero-tolerance private probation. And hit his hammer down and I was let go. So as I walk out of the courtroom, he's standing there and he goes, hi, Mallory, my name's Chuck. And I was like, hi, Chuck, nice to meet you. And he's like, so uh, I'll see you in a couple weeks. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, you're just releasing me? Like, look at these (laughs) track marks. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, yep, I'll see you in two weeks to drug test. Um, It'll be out of your system by then. And I was like, okay, so... Obviously, I did what most addicts do, (laughs) and I mess up again. So I ended up stealing my mom's car, going to Vegas, robbing a hooker. I had 24 hours of chaos. And as I'm driving back into town, my phone rings. (laughs) And it was Chuck. And he goes, I need you to come into my office right now. And I was like, wait, you said two weeks. It has not been two weeks. He's like, you need to get here now. And I was like, oh, okay. So (laughs) I ended up going to his office and he could see that I was, hadn't slept. I was a mess. And he grabs, sits me down on his, by his desk in front of his desk and grabs a paper off his machine and starts filling it out. And there's just this awkward silence. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, this is the paper I'm sending to the judge. Like you just messed up. Like you're on a zero tolerance. You're done. You're going to prison. Instantly. I just started bawling. I was like, please don't send that in. Please don't send that in. Like I can do this. I've done it before. I know that I'm not a lost cause. Like I just want to be loved. And he stood up and he's like, what do I have to do to get you to want to live, Mal? Because everyone thinks that you don't want this. And everyone has given up. He's like, I haven't. And I go, I just want someone to care that if I go away, I want someone to care if I go away and notice that I'm gone. Yeah. And he goes, why do you think I walked into this courtroom? I'm here because I care. Because I love you and I want to show that you are not a lost cause. He goes, what do I have to do to get you to want to live and to start living? Yeah. Wow. 
and I go, I just, he goes, why, or he asked me, why do all these programs, why did they all fail for you? Why did you mm -hmm. fail them? And I go, I just, I'm so tired of being punished into recovery. Yeah. I want to be loved and inspired into recovery. And that has played such a huge role, you know, from this point on for me that, you know, I no longer was getting scolded for all the things I was doing wrong or being told what was wrong with me or the things I needed to change or fix. I already knew all those. Every addict already knows all those. That's right. why we use. Yeah. I needed to be told and reminded what people loved about me and what was yeah. good, what was valuable, what was going to make a difference so that I could utilize those tools. But when you're constantly reminded of all the things that are wrong with you, how can you not want to take your right. life? For sure. So wow. in that point, he goes, Mal, for the next six months, I want you to call me every night. Um, this will tell me two things. One, if you're, if you're alive. And two, I can tell by the sound of your voice if you're clean yeah. and what you talk about. He goes, you need to leave me. If I don't answer, leave me a one-minute voicemail telling me about your day. And if I do answer, we'll just have a conversation about how your day was. Over that next six months, not only did I gain something that I had been looking for my entire life, but someone who was a father figure right. who cared about how my day went, yeah. who cared you know, about my anything I had accomplished or done that was good, um, but also someone who was willing to spend time with me and to spend time on me. And I looked forward every night. I just started following the rules. Like my voids and the causes for why I was in addiction were finally being filled with something other than punishment. And I was like, okay, I think I can do this. So I ended up calling him one night for my check-in, super excited to tell him about something. And he answers, he's like, Mal. And I was like, wow, that's like not the usual, like, hey, right. how's your day going, <laughs> yeah, you know? Right. And he goes, well, your check-ins ended yesterday. You no longer have to call me anymore. Like, and I started crying. He's like, Mal, it's time for you to start living. Mm. He's like, you need to learn to validate yourself now. I've done it for you until you had the strength to do it yourself. Yeah. I loved you until you were strong enough to love yourself. Yeah. And now it's time for you to show that you have learned something and that you're healing. Wow. So from that point on, that's exactly what I started doing. I started living. I ended up getting into um, school and going in the healthcare program. Um, I met a boy who is now my husband <laughs> and I ended up calling Chuck one day cause I was in the middle of school and with the felonies and, um, misdemeanors, I had been convicted of them all because going to drug court, either you, you graduate and they wipe them clean right. or you fail and you're convicted. Right. Yeah. So I ended up calling him. I found out there was a background check for the healthcare program for any healthcare degree. Right. Yeah. And I called him and I was like, Chuck, I got to change my degree to business or something because I'm not going to pass. I'm, that's a cost of my choices that I'll have to pay. And that's all I've ever dreamed of being in was the healthcare industry because I thought right. that was a place that I could help the most people. Yeah. That was the place that was causing more addicts, I thought, in my mind at the time. Um, and he goes, Mal, how bad do you want it? And I was like, I... I want to be in the healthcare industry. And he's like, well then fight for it. Hmm. And in the, at the time I was like, I don't get it. This, you're literally <laughs> setting me up for failure. Cause 
I know for a fact I'm not going to pass the background here. But I was like, okay, like I trust you. So I ended up going through the program, um, straight A's, getting multiple um, awards and grants and scholarships. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? Yeah, and and school, yeah, school was easy for me. I loved learning. I've always I know, loved that's learning. What I'm so then one night I'm sitting in my living room and my husband and I are playing video games and eating pizza and just enjoying life for the simplicity of what it was. Mm -hmm. And I get a knock on my door. It was about 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. I open the door and no one's there. There's a letter on my doorstep. And my graduation and my background check were required in about three days. So I was panicking in that aspect. Yeah. I ended up grabbing the letter and reading it. And just fell to my knees in tears. And Wes comes over and asks me what it is. And I go, it's a full expungement of every felony and every wow. misdemeanor on my record. Wow. I'm completely free of my past. Wow. it's amazing. So I ended up going and doing the background check. And they were like, you're free to graduate. <laughs> I ended up graduating with honors with got my healthcare, my bachelor's in healthcare administration. Uh, right. And life was just so good. Um, Wes ended, we ended up having a little girl, my oldest, she's four now, Adelaide, which means the light of the world. Ooh. Yeah, I was, my, I always had a fear of never being able to be a mom because I had messed up my body so much from drugs. Sure, yeah. So that was a dream come true. And then um, Wes decided to propose. And as much as I thought this was a good point in my life, surprisingly, it brought up a lot of the triggers for me because all of a sudden yeah. now you're remind I was reminded of who was going to walk me down the aisle. I have no dad. Yeah. And that was something that I almost was like, didn't believe in marriage because of. Yeah. And I just sat there one night just bawling like every little girl dreams of the day that, sure. you know, her father's going to walk her down. Yeah, wow. And my Wes at the time, my fiance at the time looks at me and goes, Mal, why wouldn't you ask Chuck? Wow. I was like, you're right. I was hoping it was going to be him. Yeah. So I ended up graduating probation um, right before the proposal. So I graduated probation. I started calling Chuck um, to ask him to walk me down the aisle. Um, he didn't answer, wasn't answering. I kind of thought maybe because of, you know, being in a professional world of what he did and talking to an addict that was graduated, yeah. it could have been a conflict of interest. Sure, yeah. And and no one outside really of me and Chuck other than my husband got to see the, the relationship developed that was so intimate in not a weird way, right? So, right. so healing yeah. that was indescribable indescribable yeah. wow so i called him called him he wasn't answering i didn't want to leave a voicemail because i was like this is way too important like i want to hear yeah, his reactions right. you yeah, know right <laughs> um finally three months goes by mm. and i still have not heard back so i'm getting ready for my wedding i end up asking my grandpa which mm. he did a great job and the day before my wedding, I'm in panic, I'm in chaos, I'm getting my hair done, I'm packing all this stuff, and all of a sudden my phone rings, and it's an unrecognized number. And I answer, and I was like, hello. And he goes, hey, is this Mal? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, this is Bobby. Well, Bobby is one of Chuck's best friends that I had met in passing a couple times throughout my probation. Right. okay. And he goes, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but Chuck was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And... 
They just put him on hospice. So he goes, he hasn't wanted to see anyone, but he asked me to call you and wants you to come see him. Mm. And I was like, what? So I literally, in the middle yeah. of the call, drop the phone, run to my car with my hair just completely in a mess, <laughs> in my pajamas. Yeah. <clears throat> and my husband's like, Mal, where are you going? And I was like, I'll be right back. So I get in my car and I just drive as fast as I can to his house. And I pull up and there's a ton of cars in front of his house. Yeah. I get to the door, his wife, this, I had met her a couple times in passing too, but she grabs my hand, pulls me in. There was more people in this living room than I had ever seen right. possible. Yeah. And it was the most silent room I had ever been in, in my life. Not a word was being said. Everyone was just heartbroken. You could just feel yeah, it. Yeah, sure. So he grabs my hand and everyone looks at me. They're like, who is this girl, right? Because being Chuck being in his professionalism can't tell people really our relationship again. So she pulls me into his room and the second that door opens, man, my heart just crumbled. It was like this man that had spent his entire life fighting drugs was being made comfortable right now until he was dying yeah he was dying he had lost like almost 100 pounds and his diagnosis was it was three months from his diagnosis that he wow. had been in this position this yeah so i ended up sitting next to him and he put his hand on mine and i just couldn't stop crying and he his wife sat there next to us and she goes he hasn't wanted to see anyone but he wanted to see you and I was like, yeah, I've been calling you dummy. <laughs> and you could tell right. that he wanted to talk. He was wanting to talk, but it was just taking so much strength yeah. out of him. And he goes, Mal, I need you to know how much I love you. And I need you to know. That you were a never lost cause. I'm so thankful for getting the opportunity to work with you and I need you to do me a favor and I was like okay what's that he's like I need you to promise me that you're going to tell your story to as many people as you can reach and continue doing my work and being there for the ones that everyone's convincing is a lost cause Wow. and not knowing the pressure of the promise at that time of course I was like I promise <laughs> and he gave me a hug and as I gave him a hug he just whispered in my ear I love you and I knew walking out that door that day that I was never going to get to see my hero again Yeah. and I remember as I was driving home there was a sunset and Chuck had always told me that a sunset is so beautiful because it's your opportunity to say goodbye to the scars and sorrows of the day. Mm. Wow. But I Love knew that. as that sunset was setting that my scars from Chuck's death were going to last long after that sun had set. Um, I went from the worst day of my life to the best day of my life in 24 hours. It was my wedding day. And it was awesome. It was so beautiful. And I got to just 
finally live in full freedom and in full love and in full strength of everything I had built for myself up until this point. And, uh, as my husband and I were about to get on our cruise a few days later, um, as literally as the sun was about to set, we were, the ship was leaving the dock. The dock was going up, right? The rail or the, what is that? The walker thing up to the ship was leaving the ship. (laughs) That's what I would call the ladder. The walker thing, (laughs) um, was being pulled up and they told us like, you're not going to have service on the ship for a minute. And all of a sudden my phone started ringing and I was like, what the heck? And I look at it and I knew because it was the unrecognized number that had called me the first time. And I answered that phone and right as I answered, I didn't even have to say a thing. And Bobby goes, I'm sorry, Mel. Chug passed. So um, from that point on, I had no idea how I was going to fulfill this promise. And I, my husband and I would sit in bed at night and, you know, I, he always made the joke. He's like, Mal, I've never seen someone love people so much despite, Mm -hmm. you know, what they've been through. Like no matter how many people are crap to you, like you still just want to love everyone fully. And he goes, if I could just clone you and give you to every person in this world <laughs> for, for sure. two hours, like you could love them better and Game like over. remind them for sure. <laughs> like you could change their life. And and uh, from that point, I, I wanted to remember Chuck. The one thing I never had gotten was a picture. I never took a picture with Chuck. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Never got one picture with Chuck. And uh, probably one of my biggest regrets. <laughs> But I ended up sitting down and writing everything I could remember about Chuck. Every every lesson he had taught me, every memory, yeah. every moment where he completely changed my mindset or right. my self-esteem, yeah. you know, every lesson. And all of a sudden, I had my promise fulfilled right in front of me. I was going to create a book that stood for every dark place I had been in my life, every graphic, scary point that I know other addicts have faced. And I was going to teach them just like Chuck did every single lesson that he had ever taught me, every quote, every, every piece of inspiration that I could put forth in helping guide someone in their first 90 days. So I'm about to publish a book called the way in 90 days. Love it. And the title comes from um, the first 90 days of recovery are the most important. That is the foundation in which you create habits and routines that you'll carry on the rest of your life. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at. You know, I, man, beautiful story. Um, Thanks for sharing that. I have a thousand questions. Uh, (laughs) But I just, I love just sitting back and listening to be real and raw. So thank you for sharing that. You know, one thing that really stood out to me, there's a lot of things, but this one is when when he called, you you thought it was going to be two weeks before you had to go ch- check in with Chuck, but you're out using, running and gunning, and then he calls you early. You're like, what? I need to come in now, right? And then he's he's like, well, yeah, you're, I'm typing this up. You're going to prison. This is, You're high. You've, you've already failed. And I love it because in that moment, you actually started fighting for you. You said, I just want to be loved. I just want to know people care. Like you really started advocating for what you really needed, right? Because you could have come up with every excuse in the book at that point. You could have said, well, 
you know, God, you know, I don't know, I'm sorry, I, I went home and there was some drugs there, or my friends, you know, they offered it to me, or what, you didn't go into any of that, you just said, this is what I'm really feeling, and I think, just, I mean, again, I don't know the whole situation, but, man, I can imagine Chuck going, wow, this girl is really fighting for this, She, I can feel the genuineness of what she's saying, and therefore, kind of opened up that door, like, okay, let's move forward. Yeah, and I think as addicts, you know, who are in active addiction or in, you know, that mentality still that it's, it it is easier to blame others. And I think you can tell when someone's really made a change, when they start really taking accountability and not because they have to, but because they have to see what the reality of the situation is to identify what needs to change. And I think it brings us back to what you were asking earlier about how, um, things, you know, you're, the odds are always against you. I hadn't really hit my rock bottom. I mean, if you think about it, I had gotten high right before my sentencing. So I didn't right. really care. Prison could have been my rock bottom, but Chuck saved me from really hitting that at that point. Yeah. And it wasn't until he pulled that paper out that I was like, I'm literally about to throw away the one person yeah. that has faith in me. Right. And it's like, he took a, took a chance on me by risking his career to save me yeah and i'm proving that he was wrong and he Mm. didn't deserve that yeah wow incredible story um so here you are you're getting ready you want to you're going to be publishing this book and you're doing a bunch of other things i know you love speaking you're very passionate about what you do you're passionate about life now i mean right oh yeah she's got a couple friends with her today here in the studio with us You've probably heard them in the background a few times. <laughs> uh, they're crying over here. They're laughing. They're, but just just the energy you bring is pretty remarkable, actually. You know, you you live your life with passion. You know, and talk about that. Why is that so important? Like, why are you so passionate? I mean, I I, I think I know the answer to that, but I want our listeners to hear why. Why are you so high on life? No pun intended. Like honestly, you really are. So. I mean, I feel like once you have experienced a darkness that I have, mm. you get, you begin to really appreciate, like we were speaking about earlier, beauty. You appreciate freedom. You have an appreciation because you have something to compare it to. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but people who haven't seen the darkness that we have, um, it's hard for them to see the beauty we have because they don't have a darkness to compare it to, which is why I think rock bottom becomes a foundation for most people that are ready for this recovery. Like, you know, you and I, um, as far as my passion for people, I mean, (laughs) I run into, I, so I'm a a manager at a little cafe in St. George and I've been there since the day I got out of jail. She hired me. So I've been there over almost seven years now. Wow, (laughs) And it's, it's been awesome because um, every time I'm serving a table, I have that same mindset of, okay, there's a reason that these people were put in my section of all five servers. You know, why am I getting this yeah, table? And right. so ev- I just make sure that every table that leaves, like I've gotten something from, I can build a relationship with, that I've built rapport with. And if I can help anyone, I will. Yeah. You know, I just want, I meet people who, say that they've given up on people or they you're like oh i'm gonna choose myself because you know can't trust people you can't this that yeah i think it's really sad i 
to, to hear that because that's what this world is lacking is connection. And no matter how many people in my life have hurt me or lied or, or done something wrong to me, like how I treat people and how I show up for people, that's a reflection of my character. You know, it's yeah. like they say, you know, respect is given and trust is earned. Mm-hmm. I'll respect everyone because that's a reflection of who I am. Yeah. I'll love you not because you deserve necessarily the love or you're someone who betrayed me. I'll love you because that's a reflection of who I want to be seen as. I forgive you because that's a re- reflection of who I am. Yeah. And so I just think that the best way to change the world is to really be an example and put those actions into words. And I'm not going to sit here and you know, tell people that I'm going to love you better. I'm just going to show you. And all it took was for Chuck loving me until I had the strength to love myself and reminding me of the things that were worth loving. Yeah. I don't feel like, you know, I mean, the programs that we have nowadays for addiction and recovery are great, but I think that's something that really needs to be brought into every program is focusing on what is valuable about them. They already know what their flaws are. They already know what the negatives are. Remind them of what's worth loving and and those might be the things that keep them from pulling a fucking, sorry, fudging trigger. okay, we're good. (laughs) Of pulling a trigger. Like, I just, I'm passionate because I know that the resources that were there for me were good, but there's so much room for better and I yeah. want to be a part and I would be danged sad dang sad if I couldn't be a part <laughs> of making those better I'm trying to be extremely <laughs> she's, she's passionate but people hold on I'm trying not Buckle to up. swear I'm doing actually really well um but I love it I, I just love life uh, because I love it I know you and I love that it. you love life and and I love that that I'm sitting here with you I love it and I love Freaking that I'm love here it. thank you um the, the the your story reminds me of this statement the greater the darkness the greater the light the greater the sinner the greater the saint you 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 enjoy the light so much because you were in the dark for so long right you appreciate it more right it's a lot brighter to you right you know imagine being in a in a room that's had the light off for 40 years and then someone flips it on that's i mean that's that's what, what's going on here you know, and speaking about that love, like what you do is you give it away. See, you're giving away love every time you, you know, talk to someone at a at a table or just sitting here with me or a friend or whatever you're doing, you know. And, and I really, you know, I really believe this, that if you master the first 11 steps of AA, you will drink and use again. If you master step 12, you'll never touch another drop. You'll never use again. What's step 12? It's giving it away. Go help someone else. Go give away that love. I think that's why you're such a passionate person and people feel that, you know, they're in your wake going, geez, who is that chick? Right? Wow. Right? Whereas before your light was dimmed because of the drugs, because of the self-hatred, because you didn't think you were worthy. Right? But now that you actually realize, well, that was all a lie. <laughs> and and Chuck helped bring that out, you know, just by him reaching out and, and helping you through this process. It's pretty amazing, you know, and so props to you, Chuck. dedicating this to Chuck, right? I mean, it was amazing. Guys like that, we need more people like that. And I think that's why he told you to do what you're doing. It's freaking amazing. Yeah, this world (laughs) will know Chuck's name. And I will make sure of that through my book because one of the very first 
pages is a full dedication to him. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, I just hope, I know that he would be proud. Yeah. And I just hope that I can fully fulfill that promise. That's my motivation today is mm-hmm. I made a promise to someone that I owe my life to and that yeah. I wouldn't be here without. Yeah. I really don't think I would. And the least I could do is carry on his message to every single person I have the opportunity in meeting. I love it. So my goal and dreams um, for obviously where I want to go and where I hope to be, um, I just want to be able to go and speak to anybody. I mean, I don't care if we're on a curb speaking to the streets of New York. (laughs) I, I will, I want to go to rehabs. I want to go to high schools and, and mainly high schools because, you know, like you, I, I saw your podcast with Al Mm -hmm. and I loved how you said that you were going to help kids and drug free. That's me. Um, for me, I've noticed most stories of addiction. Um, they start in high school. Yeah. And you're doing this pregame, right? Like this pre-initiation mm-hmm. to bring an awareness. But I think once they start getting into this, the stresses of life right. and the pressures and the environments that they're going to be facing, I want to reach every high school I can in the world, really, yeah. to not only share my story, but be able to help them understand that like, I'm someone you can relate to. I'm not a counselor that has this degree that's going to read you off a book. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to talk because I know what's coming. I've been there and I was successful. Addiction chooses anybody and everybody. You're not an exception to whether you're vulnerable. And if I can build a rapport enough, the people at least feel like they can reach out to me. Like I want to be one of those inspiring leaders that people can message on Facebook and they came out like I'm struggling. Can we go to lunch? Like, yeah, I just want to be real and I want to be spreading as much love as I can. Yeah. So beautiful. Okay. I know you've shared some amazing things already. I, I have a question for you. If there's someone listening to this right now, who's in that darkness, who's struggling, they're in that place where they don't think anyone cares. And what would you tell them right now that's listening to this? (laughs) I would say that you are not alone and that this world needs you, needs every part of you, the flaws, the things to fix, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because every one of us makes such a difference in this world. And it's just really finding how you can do that. And that first step comes from just being yourself and allowing people to love you for who you are. I think in society, there's an expectation that all of us hold ourselves to, you know, this perfect image of what we should look like. And I feel like that pressure can become a lot, especially for people that are already questioning their self-worth, already questioning their value. And I would just encourage them to remember that you're not alone. This world needs you, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's going to be people that love you for every part of that. And love that. 
Very well said. The world needs you. Yeah, that, that couldn't be more true. I love that. If someone wants to follow you, um, learn more about your book, learn more about you, ask you questions, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So I have a Instagram and a Facebook page. Um, they are Roosh Recovery. Uh, I don't That's R U E S C H. Yep, R U E S C H Recovery. Um, I also have a personal Facebook page that is open to anyone who um, would like to be that. It's just my full name, Mallory Roosh. I also have a website that is RooshRecovery.com. Um, on my website, yeah. you are able to contact me for booking a speaking engagement, yeah. um, booking a seminar, and I don't care how big or how small it is. I just want to be a part of everything I can. And then also people can get the first chapter of my book, The Way in 90 Days, for free oh, cool. on my website. Oh, right on. Um, they just got to send me their email and I'll send it right to them. So, Beautiful. And I'm hoping that um, all the people who do, you can reserve your copy as well. All the people that re will reserve my copy ahead of time uh, will get a discount in the final book sale. So. Right. Beautiful. I love it. Well, I can't thank you enough for driving all the way up here to share your story with all of us today. Um, I'm blessed because I get to sit here face to face with you, but our listeners will be blessed too. And I, I challenge anyone listening to this right now that if you have a, <clears throat> if you have a, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> Mallory's doing this to me. You're Thank doing you. great. It's my turn. But if you have anyone who's struggling, because again, the, People struggle. We all have our struggles. If you have a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew or a cousin or a mom or a dad who's not just struggling with addiction, if they're just down or depressed, have them listen to this podcast. Give them the link. Please share this with as many people as you can because the more we can get that out there and reach out to Mallory, ask her a question. Um, if, you have, if you're a teacher um, in high school, book her to be in her you know, to come speak to your student body. They need to hear this message more than anyone, just like you were saying. So please reach out and check out our website and check out our book when it's ready to go. I can't wait for that. That's really cool. You get to reserve your copy now, right? If you go onto the website, you can do yeah, that. Absolutely. And I yeah. will say too that this book is not just for the addict, but it does give a 90-day step-by-step healing program of every lesson that is, I think is so important within the first 90 days of recovery. But also, it's not just for the addict. It's for anyone in this world that has been impacted by addiction. Whether you're a mother that has a child and you don't know what to do, whether you're a brother that wants to support your sister and have no idea how, yeah. this book is going to be for you. Yeah, so. I love it. You know, I say this all the time to my clients. Um, greatness, excuse me, I, I butchered it. Addiction is your wake-up call to greatness. Adversity is your wake-up call to greatness. You are greatness. And because of your adversity and your addiction and everything you've been through, that's why you're so powerful in what you're doing now. It's really cool to watch. <laughs> it's beautiful. Any last words before we wrap it up? I just want to say thank you so much for letting me come and guys, guys, talk, guys. It's <laughs> okay. I butchered folks. it too. We're doing great. <laughs> it's those emotions getting in the way and stuff. Um, 
but I just want to say how thankful I am to be here, how thankful I am to have such an amazing support system to be here with me and be able to witness, you know, the true miracles of what I'm doing and, and get to see me grow from the bottom to the top. And I just am so proud of you and everything that you're doing. And I hope that you know it is making a difference and don't let a day go by or let anyone tell you that what you're doing is not making a difference and clearly the numbers will show you but I think yeah. there's a real humbling feeling knowing that like we're doing this because we want to for no other reason but we have love to give yeah. and you have such a strong presence and such a strong mind and i'm so excited to see you hit 1 million downloads i know you'll do it so come we'll on guys it. let's get him there let's do that yeah very well said um thank you again for joining us and listeners i told you this was going to be an amazing story mallory roosh please check her out um please like we said share this i love you guys thank you for uh supporting me you know week after week this is i just again i pinch myself i can't <laughs> believe where I'm, I'm here um, again, thanks to our sponsors for believing me as well. And uh, until next time, best of luck with everything, Mallory. Take care. Thank you, Todd.